All right, good evening again. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to 1 Corinthians 3. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 3 tonight, and if you don't have a Bible and want to grab one of the Bibles under the chairs in front of you, it'll be page 953. So page 953 in those black Bibles nearby. 1 Corinthians 3, we're continuing our Truth Shape series, and what we've been doing is just kind of jumping from text to text this summer, uh, just kind of taking advantage of the craziness of the summer to do something topical, which is not our normal habit, uh, and just trying to analyze areas where we might differ from other churches or where we might differ from kind of the typical cultural view of things and say, what does the scripture say about this? Why do we do things the way that we do them? Um, so tonight, we're looking at truth-shaped vision, truth-shaped vision. The next four weeks, we'll be continuing the truth-shaped series, just to kind of give you a heads up to where we're, where we're headed, uh, and then in the fall or right around school time, the end of August, we're going to start uh, the book of James. We'll study the book of James. We'll take a break for the Advent season in December, uh, look at some Advent passages, the coming of Christ around Christmas time, and then in the new year, if I don't wimp out, we're going to do Romans, okay? So we'll see. I'm terrified of Romans. I've been wanting to do it forever, but I've only been preaching for nine years, so I just don't know if I'm ready yet for Romans. We'll see. So pray for me about that. We'll see where we go, and me and the elders are kind of hashing that out. Um, but next four weeks, next week, we're going to look at identity issues, kind of where do we get our identity from as people. We often look for identity from, from family or from work or from other places. Um, what does God say about that? What does the truth say about that? Um, the week after that, we're going to look at um, worship issues, how we do, uh, kind of just how we do church, how we gather as God's people. Um, and then the week after that, we're going to look at human sexuality, just because that is such an issue right now. Um, a lot of people asking questions, a lot of people doubting or confused or kind of wanting to jump off the ship of historic Christianity and try something new. So we want to look at what the scriptures have to say about that. Um, so that's, so today and three more weeks, that'll be four weeks, and then we're going to start James after that. So pray for the upcoming stuff. Um, but now we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 3. And just to introduce it, our vision as a church, we actually have a vision statement. A lot of businesses have vision statements. Vision kind of just means like a big picture of, of your big audacious goal for your organization or your group. That's generally what we mean when we say vision. That's kind of how vision is used uh, out in the corporate world. And so we're using it in that sense. Vision also obviously can mean something like a, a dream, right? A big idea in that sense, more subjective. Our vision we get from the scriptures. We would call this the commander's intent, if you will, in Matthew 28, where he says we are to go and make disciples of all the nations, right? That's Jesus's final command before he just flies up and away from the disciples. He says, all authority is given to me as the Son of God. Go and make disciples. Baptize, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Um, and he says, I'm going to be with you. So that's kind of his final words to the church. We call it the Great Commission. As a church, if you look up on our website, we state our vision this way, kind of a restatement of that Great Commission. We say that Grace Bible Church exists to glorify God, so to give honor to him by making followers of Christ, multiplying followers of Christ among every people group. We're basically just translating Matthew 28. We want to glorify God by multiplying followers of Christ among every people group. That's our vision, um, but that's kind of big still, right? That's kind of a big idea. How do we put shoe leather to that? What does that look like in daily life? So that's what I'm going to be trying to hash through tonight, just looking at some particular passages and saying this is how we do that. This is kind of how we behave as a church, a Grace Bible Church. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 3 to start off with. Verse 1 says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. 
for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. That's really kind of the big idea we'll look at with our first point. It, God is the point, not us, right? When we want to assess vision, the vision we have is about us or is about what God has told us to do. Verse 80 says, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we're God's fellow workers, you're God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So again, our, our vision statement is about multiplying followers of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying his vision is to lay that foundation of Jesus Christ. And not for people to get caught up in, I follow this guy, I follow that guy, but to be about laying the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's about God and what he does. And so as a church, we want to keep that in mind too. As we continue to grow, as we continue to um, try to obey everything that Jesus has called us to, to recognize that it's really not about us, it's really about God and what he's doing. We get to be a part of what he's doing in the world. So let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll look at this in more detail. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for shaping us with it. We, we ask for help. Uh, Lord, you know we're resistant. We want to we wanna be our own gods. We want to do our own thing. We want to shape our own universe. Uh, but we recognize and confess that to you. We thank you for the forgiveness you give us in Jesus. And we pray that your spirit would meet us here and help us. Help us to hear. Help us to see what you're saying in your word. Help us to understand it and to live it out. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we talk about the vision of the church, I wanted to kind of take you back a few years to um, kind of what God was doing in my own heart before we started Grace Bible Church and how I got caught up in this. Uh, about 13 years ago, I was 29 and I just graduated from seminary, uh, went to seminary in St. Louis, to Covenant Seminary, had a great time, came back to my home church in Temple, Texas, where I grew up and was on staff there. I'd been a, a youth minister there. Went to seminary, came back again, and I was now the children and family pastor at a pretty big church. I mean, for a small town like Temple, it's kind of a mega church, about 3,000 people. Um, so I was this assistant pastor, um, 29. We, we bought a house in the old part of town, and we were fixing it up. And so we were kind of excited about this whole urban renewal thing. I don't know if you all have lived in big cities where people are moving into the downtown and reviving it and trying to fix things up, but we were excited about doing that uh, on a smaller scale in Temple, you know? old properties, making it better, having meetings with downtown people, how do we improve the city, that kind of stuff. And so we really had a lot of excitement about that whole kind of renewal idea, redeeming what was broken in this old city. Um, and so as I was working on this old broken house, I had a lot of time to dream, right? I had a lot of time to think about my vision for ministry and dreams about what could be uh, with churches and temple. Um, and so all these uh, hours I'm spending hammering or fixing things, or really appropriately, I should say, trying to fix things, breaking them worse, asking a friend to help me fix it the right way. That was really more what was happening. Um, so in that process, just kind of dreaming, I had this vision that started to formulate about planting a church. I'd uh, been mentored by the professor of church planting in seminary, and all my friends were church planters, so it was just kind of, part of me didn't want to plant a church. I really preferred to be an assistant pastor. I like to kind of take the second chair, um, but part of me just had it in my head. I couldn't get it out. I was always thinking about it. So I started developing this vision of a, of a church 
that was kind of part of this urban renewal of downtown, right? And so I was envisioning this thing that would be kind of like for um, urban hipsters and kind of like the granola, crunchy, like NPR listeners, you know, probably a lot of vegetarians and tofu eating and stuff like that. Like, that was started what I was developing. Again, remember, I'm just 29, and I just come out of a bigger city going to seminary. So there are all these kind of like weird intellectual ideas in my head caught up with my theology. So this, this vision was developing. I remember sharing it with my senior pastor, who's a baby boomer and pastor of a big mega church, and he just kind of laughed at me, right? <laughs> he was just like, I think there's 10 people like that in Temple, Texas. You know, like, who's going to come to your church? Uh, and so, you know, that caused me to rethink a little bit, but I, I continue to hold on to this because I'm secretly inside, I'm like this moody artist. I don't know if y'all know that about me. So secretly inside, I'm this moody artist with this kind of vision of this cool, nuanced, whatever church that nobody wants to go to that I'm still just kind of cooking up in my brain. Um, But at the same time, in God's providence, the elders of Temple Bible Church, the church that helped to start us, um, they're starting to think about planting a church in Colleen. They're thinking, we think God's bringing a bunch of people commuting from Colleen to Temple. We need to just start a church in Colleen. You know, like this is starting, so it's on everybody's heart. And I'm kind of wrestling through do I want to just do this little cool thing in a corner that nobody comes to? Or do I want to plant a church and help people to meet Jesus, right? Like, what, what's the issue here? Is it about style? Is it about, like, a work of art? Or is it about helping people meet Jesus? And I was wrestling through that. And one of those long, uh, those times when I'm, you know, a long time working on the house, I'm listening to sermons on audio. This was 13 years ago. So would that have been a cassette tape? I don't know. I don't know what we were listening to back then. But anyways, listening with some sort of uh, media listening to a sermon, and I was listening to a sermon by Alistair Begg. Have y'all ever heard him before? Some of y'all have heard him. He's a Scottish dude, so I recommend him just because his accent is really cool, right? So listen to him just for that, and then you'll get some good Bible as well. But he was teaching on 1 Corinthians 9, which is the second passage we're going to look at tonight. And I was just stuck on this idea that Paul had where Paul said, I've become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. Paul is saying, I'm giving up my rights to myself. Paul's saying, I'm throwing away my own dream for the dream of Jesus, which is a world that loves him and follows him. Paul said, that's the point. And God knew exactly what I needed in that moment because I'd, I'd heard that verse. I'd read that verse a million times. I'd heard sermons on that verse before. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit gave me exactly what I needed to hear. And I was like, right, that's it. I'm all in. I'm in. And that was a big deal for a boy that grew up in temple, right? A lot of y'all don't know this, but in temple, just kind of like in the public school system and the way we're taught in our churches and in our community centers, we are actively discipled to hate Colleen. I don't know if you knew that, but that is, that is the way we are raised. And so there was a lot of cultural pressure I had to push back again to love Colleen. And now I'm all in. I heart Colleen. You can go to the website and buy the t-shirt too. Um, I'm all in, excited about being here, been here now nine years with the church. And so God moved me to that point by his Holy Spirit, by hearing the scriptures where Paul says, by all means, I might save some. It wasn't about his identity or his tribe or what he was trying to do. He, he was able to lay those things aside and have a bigger vision, a vision outside of himself. And I think I just want to lay that foundation for that's what God's been teaching me. For all of us, it's a lifelong process, right? Like I, I have to continue, it's like a death and rebirth process. I have to continually open my hand up and let God take my dream and give me back a better dream, right? Like that's an ongoing process in our life. So I'm still learning this. It's not like I just learned it 13 years ago or however long it was. I think it was later on that we actually decided to plant the church. 
Um, but God continues to shape us, and hopefully he's shaping you even right now as we're, as we're thinking over these scriptures. What is your vision? What has God called you to do? Are, are you excited to be a part of what God is doing in the world? Because he wants to use you in the process. So the first thing I want us to key on in chapter 3 is that we need a God-centered vision. So instead of an us-centered vision, we need a God-centered vision. Because a lot of times we center our, our dreams and our visions and our calling and what we're, we're doing in the world around us. And don't get me wrong, God is going to use your unique talents, right? God's going to, I think God has even used some of my nerdiness and quirkiness and artiness and all that in the process over the last nine years, right? But I had to give that up and say, that's not the point. Like, my personality is not the point. What I want to create, my little monster that I want to make is not the point. What does God want me to do? And God could then use your unique talents in the process, your unique unique gifts uh, or, or your unique weaknesses, right, even. He'll use this in the process, but you have to be God-centered. And that's what we see Paul doing in, in chapter 3. Look again at verse 4. So I already read it, but we'll read verse 4 again. He says, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So he's saying you're, you're thinking from a human point of view. You're all caught up in Paul, or you're all caught up in Apollos, this other leader. And he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. So, um, those of you that know Jesus, if you have recently started following Jesus, or maybe it was years ago, there's this um, kind of glory days feeling you have, right? Um, th- there might be certain aspects of how you first began to understand the grace of God or how you first began to walk with Jesus, and that is going to be forever imprinted in your mind as the way things are supposed to be, or as an especially sweet time or sweet way of doing things. And I, and I wouldn't take that away from you, but just recognize that God works in a lot of different ways. And he works with a lot of different people. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul's saying, well, maybe you believe through Paul, maybe you believe through Apollos, but they're not the point. God is the point. Verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So he's saying, we did stuff. I actually planted. He's not saying I didn't do anything at all. I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. So it's a, it's a point of emphasis, right? So again, he's not saying, so don't do anything. Don't plant seeds. Don't grow. Don't try. Don't water. You know, he's saying just recognize who is more important in this picture. So the way I would say it is this. It pleases God to use us as he shares the gospel, the good news of who he is with people. It pleases him to use us in that process. We get to, we get to go to work with our daddy, Right? Like it's God's business of saving the world, and we get to be involved in God's business of saving the world. He uses us. That's, that's the system he set up. But we have to always continue to recognize and proclaim God is doing the saving. God is doing the growing. God is doing the spiritual transformation. And so that is what Paul is getting at here. He says in verse 8, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he says Jesus Christ is the foundation. That's what we're building on. There's nothing if there's no Jesus. He said before, um, he planted, Apollos watered, and then he said in the next verse, we are one. We're working together. We're, we're all a part of what God is doing in the world. God is the one that makes it grow. There's a picture I grabbed here of a sprout. Any of you remember the kindergarten 
deal where you put seeds in a little cup and then you get to go back to school the next day and it's starting to sprout, right? Some of you have kids that age, you're like, oh yeah, we've seen that. Um, You might remember just eight weeks ago, it was like the coolest summer we've ever had. It rained a ton in May and I've been walking my dogs and jogging in the neighborhood. Uh, I live out in Harker Heights and the trees are just like fatter and greener than they've ever been. I've lived there for nine years now. Have y'all noticed that? Are your, your neighborhoods pretty lush, right? Like, man, it's like a rainforest or something. It's incredible. For those of you that are from the East Coast, you're thinking, they're not trees, they're bushes, right? But for us, we call them trees here, and they are greener and thicker than they ever get. And it's really amazing. And it's, it's not because of extra fertilizer I put on my trees this year. It's not because of, like, special pruning techniques or antifungal or anything like that. It's the rain, right? God just brought tons of rain in May, and the neighborhood's incredible. The city's incredible. Everything's green, and that's not normal this time of year for us. And so I just want you to get that in your head, that we get to go. I mean, if you don't plant the seed, it's not going to be there at all. So God still wants us to be in the process of doing stuff, sharing the words of the gospel, again and again biblically, sharing the the verbal proclamation of this is who God is. God made the world. He made it all good. We've sinned and strayed from him, but he's come after us to save us through Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to take our sins upon himself and to give us his perfect righteousness. Those are the words. That's the story of the gospel. And when you talk about that with people, you're planting those seeds. And then the Holy Spirit comes and, and makes those seeds grow. You can't make that grow. I mean, even think about how a seed grows in in real life, I don't know how to say that, uh, biologically or whatever, but that's a dead thing that we put in the dirt, and God makes it grow. Isn't that weird? That's just crazy. That's how he, he made the world, and he uses that again and again to teach us lessons. So he says, talk to people about who I am, and have good conversations with them, and talk about what they believe, talk about Jesus, talk about your faith, and God will make that grow. God will do something with that. That's our faith. That's our hope. So That's my first, um, I guess, application point for that, is don't be afraid to talk about Jesus. Don't be afraid to plant those seeds because it's not about you anyway, right? See, what happens is either we do it in a way that betrays we're not trusting in God, right, where we we have this, like, guilt and drivenness and we're, we're talking because it's all up to us, or we don't do it at all. We don't talk at all. Either way... If you're guilt-driven or if you're just not saying anything, either way, you're making it all about yourself. If we actually trust that God is at work supernaturally through us, that frees us. That frees us to work hard and study and know more theology and be able to talk to people intelligently about our faith. But it also frees us on those days when we don't have the right answer, when we're just like, yeah, well, this is what Jesus has done for me. And then they have three questions for you, and your answer is, I don't know. But you know what, that's, that's okay, right? Like you can go get your friend that might know or talk to me or call someone else, and that's okay. You, you have that freedom because you just re- realize you're just out there sowing seeds. You're just having conversations about who Jesus is. And there's a great freedom in that, that we don't have to be experts or geniuses or have it all figured out. We can just walk through life sowing these seeds, having these conversations about who Jesus is because God ultimately is the one with the vision. God is the one saving people in this world, and he chooses to use us. He, he delights to use his little kids in the process. We get to be a part of what he's doing. Another application point I have is that if God is the one doing the work, then that means that God is at work at other churches besides Grace Bible Church. Have y'all ever thought about that? It pains me to admit this, but it's true. 
there are other churches outside of these walls where people love Jesus and great ministry is happening and lives are being transformed. I just want to encourage you all with that. Um, as a matter of fact, there's not as many people in this service, so I kind of want you all, all to stay. The morning services, I was telling them all to leave and go to these other churches. You guys, come back next week. I'd like to see you again. But I do want to get you at least to pray for these other churches. And if, if the Spirit moves you, you can go to these other churches as well. But one I want to share with you is Watershed Church. How many of you have heard of Watershed Church? Okay, a lot of you know about it. They're in West Cove or Kempner. is kind of the neighborhood small town on that side of Cove. Um, he interned with us for two years. We met up with him through the Acts 29 Church Planting Association. I was one of his assessors where we get with guys and say, hey, are you ready to plant a church? And then we set um, kind of bars for them to go through and say, this is what it would take for your theology or for your marriage or for your life to kind of be in order for you to be ready to plant a church. And he went through all those um, conditions that we set on him. He's launched his church about a year ago. They're doing pretty well. God is really doing exciting things with Watershed Church. They're meeting out in a school out on the west side of Cove, I would encourage you to get involved with them. If you're halfway between here and Cove, would you just pray about maybe getting involved in that church? Um, Really cool story. There was a church that planted about the same time as us in Cove, uh, and that church was given land by First Baptist Cove to plant their church. And they were given this land in Kyle Black, Watershed's neighborhood, literally. And after nine years of planting a church in Cove, they said, you know what? Uh, everything we're doing is on east, the east side of Cove. We don't want the land on the west side of Cove. So they just gave it to Watershed Church. Isn't that crazy? First Baptist Cove just approved it, made the transfer. They've given the land, and First Baptist Cove was like, hey, and we'll give you a big hunk of money, too, to help you develop the land. So um, just exciting stuff like that. God keeps opening doors of favor with Kyle and Lindsay's neighbors in that neighborhood at the school with the land now with other churches, helping them out now with seed money to help build on that land. So pray for them. They, they need to continue to grow. You know, you kind of need a mass number of people to be able to afford things like paying your bills and <laughs> paying staff and stuff like that. So they're still right on the edge of that. Um, you might consider going or just even giving to their building fund, helping them out. Pray for them. Exciting stuff. There's more stories than I can mention. Um, another thing I would encourage you to consider is Calvary Fellowship in Harker Heights. So we'll go to the other side. If you live in Harker Heights, how many of you have ever heard of the Calvary Chapel movement? A lot of you have heard that. Great, great churches, great people. Um, when I decided to be a part of the church plant here, I started trying to hook up with churches in Colleen. And Calvary was the church that I found that seemed to be the closest to who we are as far as same core values. They love Jesus. They want to do expository Bible preaching and contemporary worship. And I was like, okay, there's a lot we have in common. Let's get together. And man, John was already here before us. He embraced me. He prayed for me. He helped me. We've been friends ever since. Uh, he's a handyman, and he actually came and sweat and bled in my old 80-year-old house to help me finish it so I could sell it so I could move over here and plant a church in his town. I mean, he, that's the kind of brotherhood we've had. So would you consider being a part of their church in Harker Heights? It's a great church. So God's really doing cool things. One of the advantages that we had, we've kind of grown faster because we started with a bunch more leaders already coming out of a bigger church. He started with no leaders at all. So now God's kind of developing some of that in their church, but they still need more. Maybe pray about that if you're a leader, Bible study leader, teacher, they could use help, or even just an attender. They'd love to see more people getting involved with them. God's doing great things at Calvary Fellowship in Harker Heights. Um, I'm going to run through just a few others here. Morning Star Missionary Baptist Church. Um, a lot of you know that I have a passion that we would uh, reflect in our church body more of the multi-ethnic um, nature of Colleen, right? It's a very multi-ethnic city. 
My prayer is always that our, our church would be more multi-ethnic to match more what Colleen really is. And for years, I'd just been praying, God, will you just bring me an African-American friend? Because I'm not doing very well here. You know, every time I'd make friends with one uh, through my kids or one of my neighbors, and they'd move after a year, right? I mean, that's part of the, the deal with Colleen is people move a lot. So I'd make a friend, then they'd move. I'd make a friend, they'd move. I was like, God, will you bring me a friend? And a uh, month after praying that, someone knocks on the door. It's like, hi, I'm Wesley Pope. I'm planting a church next door in the shopping center. It's like, all right, great. And uh, he's an African-American planter that's been planting a church over the last few years. They were in the shopping center right where we do Sunday school. Now they've moved over to North Colleen. Would you pray about being involved with them? Great folks, godly man. He's been a great friend and encourager to me. We have lunch together. We pray for each other. We try to um, encourage each other in ministry. They're in North Colleen. Um, Just a couple more I'll mention. I have like 17 more. That's it. Um, Okay, no, just I think three more. Faith Fellowship. Have y'all ever heard of Faith Fellowship? Um, one of our elders, Greg Shannon, left our church several years ago to plant this new church, Faith Fellowship. He's now retirement age. He's retiring. They're trying to find a new pastor. Would you pray for them? They're looking for a pastor. Um, maybe some of y'all know a pastor. You could connect with them. Uh, they just got this great building. It's the first Presbyterian church that just shut down on Rancier. So it's kind of like a new-ish building that First Presbyterian had out on Northeast Queens, so almost to Nolanville on Rancier. Um, so great building, uh, good little core group of people. Uh, God's been doing some cool things over the years, but they need, they need more traction. They're looking for a new pastor now. Pray for them. Uh, another one is uh, Hill Country Presbyterian Church. Some friends of ours, I went to seminary with the PCA, which is an evangelical, Bible-believing Presbyterian branch. Um, these guys have a church on W.S. Young by the mall. And their assistant pastor, they just sent him out to plant a new church in Albuquerque. So they're down a pastor, right? So, so pray for them. They could use more help and more effort over there. They're a little more traditional than us, but me and Lou actually went to the same seminary, so a lot of similarities in preaching and sermons there. And then uh, Colleen Bible Church, also in North Colleen, Westcliff, uh, older church, a Bible church that was around for a lot of years. They've lost a lot of people the last few years. It's an aging congregation. So those of you that are new, if you live in North Colleen, uh, those of you not that are just new but young, uh, if you're young, you might consider it, right? They need some, uh, some new life as it's an aging congregation. You might pray about getting involved with Colleen Bible Church. And then finally, uh, Journey Church. Journey Church is a really active church, just planted very similar to us as well. Mark Hoover has been a good friend of mine. We've encouraged each other over the years. Again, a church that started, they didn't have as many leaders as we did when we started. So pray for them to develop more leaders, more teachers there. Pray for them to get into a more stable building situation, you might consider being a part of that church. It's out in Southwest Colleen where uh, all the new houses are being built right out towards the, the airport out there on Bunny Trail. So you might consider being a part of that. But again, the big idea here is we need a God-centered b- uh, vision of God at work in Colleen. We, we want to see healthy churches multiplying and growing. Like my, One of my biggest prayers is, wouldn't it be awesome if we had like eight healthy churches of 500 to 1,000 instead of just our church being you know, 6,000 people in a few years? Wouldn't that be a cool vision if God just was multiplying healthy churches and, and they had different flavors and they looked like different things? And We could be a part of that. Pray that God would help us to promote gospel multiplication in our city. The, the next point that I want us to think about is that we need an open-handed vision. So this is looking more at 1 Corinthians 9 that I mentioned in my introduction. So if you look at 1 Corinthians 9 with me, we'll read verses 19 through 27. Uh, and I want us to think about having a, a vision that's open-handed, that we, we hold loosely, that we don't hold on too tightly to, to how we want things to go. 
So 1 Corinthians 9, 19, Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So he has these little parenthetical phrases here where he's like, I become like a Jew in the cultural sense. I don't fully embrace Judaism in the sense of revoking Christ, right? So he's kind of making these parenthetical sides that he goes as far as he can, but he doesn't go all the way in the sense of, I've just gotten rid of Jesus so I can be their best friend. You know, like there's a line we won't cross, but there's a lot of stuff that we can bridge the gap with that are just open-handed issues. that are just like, well, you know, we were joking earlier with the worship team, you know, some people worship, they raise their hands and a lot of people at our church just like to frown when we worship. You know, that's just kind of how we do things here. So, um, you know, there's just different ways that people worship. We, we encourage you to raise your hands and jump up and down as well. I was like, don't I get some credit? I was really getting into it earlier. Like, I was, I was getting after it, and they just laughed at me. Um, but those are open-handed issues, right? Those are kind of secondary things. And Paul's saying in these areas of secondary importance, I'm, I'm, willing, to, I'm willing to cross the bridge. I'm willing to meet them where they are. I'm not going to make a big deal out of my preferences. So hold your vision for ministry open-handed. He goes on, to the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So he says, to those not under the law, I become as one that's like someone that's not under the law. And he has the parenthetical, that doesn't mean I'm completely lawless, right? So all the stuff that's swirling around the storm in our culture right now. An easy way to just kind of, if you don't have much of a theology of what's the same from the Old Testament and New Testament, how do we bridge that gap? I'd say the easiest way to think about it is the Ten Commandments. I mean, obviously it's more complicated than that, but the Ten Commandments are kind of pretty much the same, right? I mean, that's the basic moral law of God. God hasn't changed that. Jesus didn't say, we don't believe in any moral standards anymore now that I'm here and everything's grace and love. And you know, No, he's, he's still saying that we should follow God's general moral ethical code. That's what Paul's saying in his parenthetical aside. He's saying, to those without the law, I become like someone without the law. But not like in the sense of crazy, murdering people, bad, you know, sinful, not without the law. So he's trying to talk about the difference between what is absolute and what is secondary. One of the other ways I've joked about it over the years is our pink carpet, right? I always like to pick on it. I hate our pink carpet. I've always hated it. I kind of long for the day when we rip it out. Someday we'll get to rip it out. I'll celebrate. I'll dance around, whatever. But when you go to find a new church, I've always said, go look for a church that's going to preach the scriptures. Don't look for a church that's going to have pink carpet, right? Like that's secondary. Now, if you like that, I'm sorry I just hurt your feelings. That's fine. You can like that, but that's not the point, right? The point is not the color of the carpet. The point is what Lord has revealed to us, what Jesus has done for us. And so as Christians, you have to grow in your ability to discern between those two things. And as Christians, we're terrible at it. I mean, we make this mistake all the time where we confuse our preferences with God's law. Or we confuse our preferences with the gospel. We've got to hold those things in an open-handed way. I have a picture of an open hand here. It's interesting. I I thought the first part of the section, Paul is talking very clearly about being flexible, right? Like I'm willing to be all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. I'm willing to give up. Paul's I'm willing to give up my culture. He grew up a Jew. 
He's willing to live like a Gentile so that he can better communicate with the Gentiles, so they can hear the words of the gospel, so he's not putting barriers, right? A lot of ministries do this thing. I won't name names because we all do it. But what we often do is we're like, I'd love to talk to you about Jesus, but you've got to wear this special outfit, and you've got to stand a certain way, and you've got to do this certain dance first, and then maybe I can tell you about Jesus, right? There's this kind of like, bow to my culture first, and then we can have a spiritual conversation. And what Paul's saying is as much as possible, you want to kind of move those secondary cultural things out of the way so you can have a clear conversation. We're, we're not talking about the other extreme would be pretending to be something you're not, right? I'm not saying pretend to be something you're not. It's okay to have preferences, right? Like there's, there's just stuff I like, and I, I've joked about this in the past. A lot of the way we organize how we do church at Grace Bible Church is you know, it's just kind of stuff me and Chris like, okay? They're just preferences. That's bottom line. But we, we go to a lot of effort to pray and like peel back the preferences as much as we can, right? To kind of do things in a way that people can see the gospel more than our preferences and peel away those layers and not make it all about our preferences. So I've got the open hand here. Hold those things openly in your hand. Now, what's cool is he goes on here is he uses, he uses really like harsh athletic language um, he starts talking about that flexibility of holding my preferences loosely is like a difficult athletic event. Isn't that interesting how he's kind of got a juxtaposition of, on one hand, he's talking about something that is really flexible and loose, and he's saying, and it's really vigorous and difficult to do this. Because it's not easy for us to give up our preferences. So, so go on, I've, I've become all things to all people. Verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I may share with them in the blessings. And now he goes to this athletic metaphor. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So he says this... This distinction of meeting people as much as I can without giving up the morality of God's law, holding my preferences as loosely as possible without becoming something that I'm not, that, that is a hard line to walk, and he talks about that as a difficult athletic contest. And so what I would encourage you with is this is going to require prayer. This is going to require Bible study, not just like little one-paragraph devotionals that make you feel good, right? But actually learning the scripture so you can discern that for yourself. So I don't just tell you how to think about this, but you can begin to tell me what God is doing in your life as you're learning these lessons of this is what God is showing me that now I'm I'm giving up this so that I can have this gospel conversation with this person. Pray that the Holy Spirit would teach you what those are. I I would just say pray right now that the Lord would tell you what, what are the things you want me to hold on to loosely? What are the things you want me to continue to hold on more tightly to and make an issue of, right? Like in our culture, everything is up for grabs. And there are some things that we have to hold on to. Say, no, I'm actually going to believe the Bible and do what Jesus says. I'm going to obey him. But there's a lot of other stuff that might just be traditional baggage around God's standards of ethics that, that we don't necessarily have to fight over. Like, yeah, that's just not that big a deal. I can let go of that, even though it might be my preference to hold on to it. That requires... That requires some homework. That requires more than just homework, the Holy Spirit revealing those things in our heart. Okay, all things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. All right, we've got a few more minutes. All right, it's, it's 10 after. If you want to make the Lebanon guy, you've got to leave now, okay? 
I'm not going to hate on you if you do. You can just walk. Nobody's going to judge you. I'll look down for a minute if you want to walk out. But we got one more point here. We need a global vision. We need a global vision. We see in Paul that he was always thinking about all the nations of the world. He was always thinking about seeing uh, the gospel go out to everybody, every tongue and tribe. Um, so if you flip over a few pages, flip back, back to Romans. Romans is the book right before 1 Corinthians. So in the Black Bibles, it's page 950. We're going to be in Romans 15, verses 18 through 24. Paul has a global vision. We need a global vision as well. Paul wanted to preach where no one had heard the gospel before. So he says, starting in verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as, that, as it is written, those who have never seen, excuse me, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He's quoting Isaiah. So he's saying, I am fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy by sharing the gospel with people that have never heard it before. God promised this would happen, and Paul's like, I get to be a part of this. I want us to have that same eagerness. Like, we get to be a part of this. When we pray for Bill Bowers in Lebanon, we get to be a part of what Isaiah prophesied thousands of years ago in Isaiah. Isn't that amazing? Like, we get, Paul, Paul's saying, I get to be a part of this. We get to be a part of this. He says in verse 22, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. We talked last week about Paul collecting money to bring aid to the suffering saints in Jerusalem. He's talking about doing that here in Romans as well. He's saying, I haven't been able to come to you because I've been too busy preaching the gospel to people that haven't heard it before. So I haven't come to you Romans who have already heard the gospel, which is really interesting because Paul also likes to preach the gospel to people that have already heard it before because that's how people grow by hearing the gospel. We have to be daily renewed in that reality. So he talks about that in the first several chapters of the same book. If you go back and read Romans, he says, I long to come preach the gospel to you. Even though you already know it, the gospel is how we grow. The gospel is the means by which we're more and more in love with who God is. So Paul talks about that at the beginning of Romans. I want to come preach the gospel to you, people that already know it, to help you grow in your faith. And then now he's saying, I haven't come to you yet because I've been busy preaching the gospel to people that have never heard it before, because that's a priority as well. And he says, I'm, I think I'm going to get to come see you because I'm going to go preach the gospel in Spain, this other country where they've never heard it before, so I'm going to pass through Rome on the way. And so you see this priority of what we call unreached people groups. Have you all ever heard that phrase before, unreached people groups? It's just a phrase that a lot of times Christians in the evangelical movement talk about prioritizing, sending people to translate the scriptures into unreached people groups' languages so they can hear the gospel in their own heart language. Wycliffe does a lot of that. We have uh, partners that are doing that kind of thing with, I don't think I can say it on a recording, but tribes in the Middle East. Um, we have partners like the Bowers who are working, who actually has an open religious visa in Lebanon, but God's using him widely across the whole region with refugees in Syria and Jordan and all over the place in the Middle East. All kinds of awesome stuff is taking place. God is doing big things. What are ways that you could be involved with us as we try to push the gospel out to the whole globe? The way we do it financially is we take 10% of our general income and push that to global outreach. We take that 10% and we 
pretty much cut it in half. It's not real precise because, you know, different missionaries are coming on and off support over the years. But it's about 5%. About half of that 10% goes to the unreached category. The rest of it goes, you know, to people all over the place and other more reached type places. And when, when we say unreached, we don't mean no one at all speaks the gospel in that language at all, but we kind of think of it in statistical means. Like if there's a nation of people, um, say there's like 5 million people in this one country and there's one church, we would say they're a statistically unreached people group, right? They have just like a statistical low chance of hearing the gospel. So we want to prioritize those places where the gospel has not saturated, where there's not several gospel churches in those locations and among those tribes and people groups. I found a flag of Antarctica here. I was just trying to think of the farthest away place I could think of. Um, We're not actually sending missionaries there because there's only 10 people that live in Antarctica, so we're not really prioritizing Antarctica. They all come from gospel-saturated first world nations when they go to study and be scientists in Antarctica anyway. But I just wanted to get your idea thinking about kind of those furthest reaches. And like, what's the tip of your imagination? What's the, what's the place way out there that you could have never imagined going? Maybe God's not calling you to go, but God's calling you to pray for them. The Bowers have people assigned to pray for them on different days. We have other missionaries that do it in different ways. They'll send their email newsletters to you, and we can update you if you're interested. But we need a global vision like Paul had to see the gospel go out. Most of our budget, most of our focus goes to this community, right? This is where God has called us. And because of that, that's why we've carved out money and said, but we're going to always prioritize sending money and people and prayers to the farthest reaches of the world as well so that we can have a diversified investment in a gospel sense. So here's some application points. Um, One was to go to the meeting tonight. Sorry, you can't do that. I just stripped it from you. Uh, The other one, I've got a friend that I just met. Uh, I'm really excited about this guy. He's a part of a team going out of the Austin Stone, friends of ours in Austin, a uh, big church down there, and he's going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to be a part of a church planting church in Jerusalem. So some of you, God may have put uh, the Jews on your heart, right? Paul always said, I go to the Jews first, and these guys are wanting to take a team to plant a church, a multi-ethnic church with Jews and Palestinians in Jerusalem. So pray for them. His name's Joe Justice. If you want more information, I could give you information about him. Um, and then also another opportunity coming up to just to kind of be involved. This, I think this is a cool one, especially for our, our town. We have a lot of uh, We have a lot of ethnic and national diversity here in Colleen, and so we've got some of our global outreach partners. Uh, He's uh, grew up in America, Anglo guy, married a Filipino lady from the Philippines, and they've been living in, doing mission work in India for 15 years, and then now they're in Malaysia coaching church planters regionally. So just all kinds of uh, multinational, multicultural stuff going on there in that marriage, right? So they said they would be willing to lead a Bible study or a class uh, for cross-cultural marriages, if y'all are interested. I think we'd allow non-cross-cultural marriages as well if you're interested in being in the class, but we just kind of thought that'd be a cool focus and say I have a cross-cultural marriage. It might be fun for those of you that have marriages maybe where one of you grew up in one place or one of you grew up somewhere else or that, you know, you're just dealing with cultural issues. I think it's a beautiful kind of micro version of what happens uh, in world missions where we say our culture is going to try to translate the love of God into another culture. Whenever I do marriage counseling, I always tell people, even if you grew up in the same town and you're the same color and went to the same church, it's still cross-cultural, right? You're, you're still trying to enter into another person's world, and God has called you to be a missionary that translates the love of God into your spouse's life. That's what we're all called to. So you can kind of see it at multiple levels there. So anyway, that's an opportunity coming up. The Brandons will be leading that class. We'll give you more information about that, but you could let me know if you're interested in doing that, and you can learn more about cultural issues from a 
church planter from India. Well, in conclusion, I want to remind you of the words of Jesus uh, at the end of John. Uh, after Jesus died, he rose again. Our hope is that death didn't conquer him, but he conquered death. Uh, and when he would appear to the disciples after he rose from the dead, he would kind of freak them out because generally, like in our day, people don't rise from the dead, right? So it would scare them to death. So Jesus would just like, poof, go through a wall and appear, and he'd be like, peace, right? He would have to calm them down. Peace be with you, right? It's okay. It's all right. One of these appearances in John 20, he says, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. I just want to leave you with that. The Father sent Jesus into our world to love us, to save us, to come after us. He's sending you. So pray, God, show me how you want to send me. Show me how you want to use me. Give me a truth-shaped vision for my neighborhood, my family, my community. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you want to use us, and we are privileged that you want to take us to work and involve us in the redemption of this world that you made. We pray that you would give us wisdom in knowing how to do it well. Pray that you would give us confidence that you are at the center of this vision, and it is your power at work in our lives. And we pray that you would give us joy as you send us all over the place to all kinds of people and to all kinds of situations. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.